I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Thank you, Pastor John. Our church staff is reading through the book, Letters to the Church. If you'd like to read through that with us, there are about six or seven copies, I think, still out in the lobby. Uh, You can grab that on your way out today. A good read, a challenging read that makes you think about the church. Uh, One of the things that we discussed this week in our discussion was how the church comes together with an expectant spirit. The church comes together expecting people to be saved, expecting people who feel hopeless to get hope, Uh, expecting people who maybe are paralyzed by fear to be overcome by peace and by grace. Now the truth is we all walked in here today from different walks of life and different aspects And we've been praying already this week that every person would get the help they need today in Christ. That help is not in me, it's not in the staff, it's not in our leaders, but it's in Christ. And so we pray that Christ would be lifted up, that Christ would help you wherever you're at in your journey of faith. And before you leave here today, if there's anything we can do to help you, we would certainly love to do that. And do be praying this week for Disciple Now this weekend as our students come together for a great weekend. It's not about a program, it's about a person. Amen, Pastor. It's not about a program, it's about a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we want to see young people drawn to Jesus this weekend. And so you pray, bathe this weekend in prayer. Let me do just a couple things uh, before I get into my message today. Uh, Tanner and Katie, where are you? Are you in the congregation right now? I'm looking around. Oh, hey, you threw me for a loop. You usually sit over here, don't you? All right. Can y'all come down here with me? Would that be okay? I want to embarrass you real good, Tanner. So just come on down here. Tanner and Katie have both uh, been saved and baptized. They've been to lunch with a pastor, uh, have asked some really good questions about our church and what we believe and uh, the direction of our church. Uh, they are blessed with some gifts and music and instrument playing and so forth, and uh, they're uh, wanting to be a part of this fellowship. And so they come before you today to the members to say, we want to own the mission and the vision uh, together in this community of God's work and God's kingdom uh, by being a part of this fellowship. So if you're a member of the Point Church and you rejoice in welcoming them into our fellowship, would you let it be known by the uplifted hand? And can we celebrate this family and God's goodness? We welcome you guys and look forward to serving the Lord with you in the days and the weeks ahead. All right, I'll let you slip back to your seat. And uh, I I love this couple, appreciate their spirit and their desire to serve uh, the Lord. I want to mention Brother Dick Rodriguez. I asked him if I could just mention a word to you today. Brother Dick's been going through some tests and some of you know that uh, he's been battling some... uh, some issues with cancer and so forth, and uh, this past week was an important week. I guess we met a week and a half or uh, a couple weeks ago, and I just discussed that issue with him, and 
And then this past week, he had some more tests and things. And, and on Friday, he got some not good news, okay? And I want you to, to lift him up, all right? Your prayer list, uh, as you uh, pray, I want you to raise his name up on that list, all right? And really bathe him. And uh, good to see Ricky and, and Randy here with us today. And um, they're here to just support him and rally around him. And, and I know this, Brother Dick's on our finance team at the church, and so he keeps us all straight on our receipts and uh, our requisitions. And I did get the tax off of the bill last week, so you proud of me for that. And I didn't fill out a requisition. <laughs> he serves here in our church, has been a part of this church family now for years. And uh, I know many of you know him and love him, and, and we want to pray for him and lift him up. All right? We do that in the days and the weeks ahead. I want to say uh, that I missed you last Sunday, and I mean that sincerely. I, I don't want to just be sound cliche-ish. I missed you last Sunday. Uh, it, it is a wonderful privilege, a wonderful privilege in my life uh, to pastor this church. It's a wonderful privilege to stand up here and preach the Bible. I mean, it's a privilege, and I love it. Uh, it's, uh, it's exciting to me. It's... Uh, I don't, I don't know why you're clapping, but I, I, I love to preach. I, I, love, I, love to, I love to get in the Word with you. And, I, I, you know, my responsibility as the under-shepherd is to feed, to give the Scriptures, and to preach. And I, I, I love doing that. And I, I was actually with our church last week in that I preached at the First Baptist Church of Alberta last Sunday morning as we had a joint service with uh, their congregation and I want to just give you a little update as a matter of prayer, okay? Um, that church approached us. We did not approach them. They came to us and said, could we begin to have some conversations uh, to see what the Lord might do uh, as far as our church is merging together and the Point Church uh, coming in and assuming uh, the leadership role of First Baptist Church of Alberta. And so we've been walking down that road now for a while. And next Sunday, they're actually meeting together today. Pastor Josh uh, is preaching over there. I know you received a blessing from him last week. Uh, he'll be, he's preaching there at the First Baptist Church today. Next Sunday morning, that church is voting to pursue a merger with us, the Point Church. And then uh, two weeks from today, I'll be going over there meeting with their congregation and just answering questions and talking about philosophies and things that we'll be doing moving forward should this happen. And I would say to you um, that we only want God's perfect will. That, that's it. That's it. Uh, I can tell you without hesitation, there is nothing being forced here. Nothing. Uh, we, we're not running, running and hurrying in this. This is a slow, slow, prayerful thought process. But now we're kind of at the point where it's, uh, what is it, uh, Joe says, DT, is it DTR, determine the relationship, is that it? So, so we're kind of figuring out what this is going to look like as we move forward. And I really want to ask you as a church to bathe this in prayer. And, and, and please, please pray that God's perfect will would be done. And I want to say just again, I've been with Pastor Josh the last couple of days. We went to a preaching conference and, and I heard about 11 sermons in two days were preached out. But we were able to spend some time you know, just talking together and talking about vision and mission. And Pastor Josh has such a heart for that ministry. If you don't know, he retires from the military in October and uh, has already finished seminary and 
man, he's fired up, ready to charge hell with a squirt gun in his bathing suit, I'm telling you. Um, he is excited. His heart's in Alberta. He's bought a house, a little farm in Lillian, and, and uh, they're just looking forward to the, to the days ahead. And so you bathe that in prayer, all right? Will you do that? How many of you wave at me and say, as God brings it to my mind, I'm going to pray uh, for Alberta in this situation. Uh, God bless you, and thank you for doing that. Grab your Bible, all right? Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 18. Revelation 2 and verse 18. I must tell you, I hate to say this because there's going to be someone get nervous or turn me off, but I went about 10 minutes over in the first service today, and there is the potential of me doing that in this service. So I need, I need, your, pa- I need your patience, okay? We're not going to be here through lunch or anything like that. I don't want you to think I'm going to preach in an hour and a half. But we find ourselves in a text that's just a little bit longer with a very, very important subject. A very important subject. The title of the message today is Drifting into Tolerance. Drifting into Tolerance. We find ourselves at the church in Thyatira. Hear the word of the Lord, chapter 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burning bronze, or burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God add His blessings to the reading of His Word. I hope that you have noticed already that we are making an even more concerted effort this year to read a lot of Scripture in our services. And so we believe it's the Bible that washes us and cleanses us and teaches us. Would you pray with me? Would you pray? God, thank You for the Word. Thank You for the text that we have for this day and the importance 
of the letter that you wrote to the church at Thyatira. We're living in a day of compromise, in a day of drifting, in a day in which there certainly seems to be a lot of pressure being placed upon the church to be more tolerant. It's very clear in this letter that you wrote to the church at Thyatira that they were falling into the trap of being tolerant of sin in the church. Not only that, but being tolerant of sin in our lives. God, I want, I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, I want to ask you right now that before we get into some of these subject matters today of tolerating sin in the church, that the Holy Spirit would first of all show us how we're tolerating sin in our own lives. The sin of pride, the sin of bitterness, the sin of anger, the sin of lust, the sin of indifference to a lost and dying world. And then show us how the church is being called today to stand firm on the Holy Scriptures. I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing, and I know that I have no ability to preach this message apart from your grace in my own life because I am a flesh tank that needs your grace. So I pray that you would cleanse my hands and purify my heart. And may this message today be clear. May it be refreshing. May it bring us to repentance. And may it give us a holy resolve in our life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said. I remember as a teenager in my home church, one of the highlights of our year was when we would go on the men and boys fishing trip. We would go up into North Mississippi on the river, and we had a particular place uh, where there was a, a shoreline, if you will, and we would line that shoreline with uh, boats and tents. Uh, we would have men in the church who would take it upon themselves to, to fix the meals uh, each day for all the men that came uh, we would uh, have a speaker. Our pastor would invite a speaker in. And after we got the morning bite of fishing, uh, we'd come back in and have a little something to eat. And we'd all sit down and, and uh, we'd get a challenge from God's Word. Uh, we would not only fish, but we would ski and, and uh, we would ride uh, the tube on the back of the boat. Anybody ever had the blessed privilege of going tubing, all right? Maybe out here in the bay or out on a lake or on the river. Uh, that was always a highlight of the trip because we had a man in our church by the name of Tommy Nix uh, who owned a boat that went just a little bit faster, that was deeper, uh, that could kind of hold a crowd in the boat. And uh, he loved uh, owning that activity. Brother Tommy was a, a, a jokester, if you will. He liked to have a lot of fun. Uh, he and his wife uh, last year died in a plane crash. Uh, you wouldn't remember this, but it was on national news and so forth, and uh, went home to be with the Lord. But they were sweet people in our church. And Brother Tommy, that was, his, that was his thing for three days, driving that boat, getting out there and making figure eights. You know, if you've ever done it, you make those figure eights, and you get those big old waves, and then you bring that, that tube, and you just sling it right across those waves, and only heaven knows what's going to happen in that moment. I mean, you're just hanging on for life. Sometimes you go flying off. Sometimes you find yourself on your back. Literally, the tube's on top of you, and your back's on the water, and uh, you'll flip back over. I mean, some amazing things happen in that moment. For us as young teenage men, it was an opportunity for us to prove our manhood, to prove how tough we really were. Uh, to see who could hang on the longest in the middle of that stress. And unfortunately, most of the time, 
because Brother Tommy was so rough on us, we would get under pressure and we'd get to a point where we just couldn't take it anymore and we would just turn loose with our hands and let go. I give you that little illustration at the beginning of my message today to say that I believe the winds and the waves are rolling in our culture. In our culture today, the church of Jesus Christ is under pressure. We're under pressure to compromise. The church is under a microscope, if you will. And people are looking at the church, people outside of the church, a lost world there are onlookers who are wondering where the church is going, how the church will stand. Unfortunately, there are some who have a building with the word church on a sign out in front who are finding themselves under pressure, intense pressure, and instead of hanging on, instead of being strong and being firm, they are turning loose and they are giving up on what God has said in His Word. In the church at Smyrna, we read that the devil is about to attack. Jesus told them that you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown in jail, and ultimately, you're going to lose your life. To the church at Pergamum last week, we saw Jesus said, you're living in a town where Satan has set up his throne. You're living where Satan has his headquarters. In the passage I read for you just a moment ago, In the city of Thyatira, in verse 24, it says that some in the church have plunged into the deep things of Satan. As I read Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, I see a passage that goes against the grain of the culture that we live in. In today's culture... You have very little worry and very little fear over someone scolding you, correcting you, chiding you over being too tolerant. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. In this culture today, you stand a good chance of getting a tongue lashing, of even being tarred and feathered, figuratively speaking, for being intolerant. If you say you believe God's Word, if you say this is what God has said, if you say these are the boundaries that I have not established, I didn't write them, I just read them and apply them. If you say this is what I believe, you are called an intolerant person by many. Compromise, as we saw last Sunday in the city of Pergamum, it will ultimately lead you down a path of tolerance. When you compromise, you'll first begin by tolerating sin in your own life. And here's what I find in my life. When I'm drifting away from the Lord and I know my heart is getting cold and I become more tolerant of the sin in my own heart, I find myself being so judgmental of everyone else's sin. Because it's easy to point my finger at you and to not see the own sin that is going on in my heart. Compromise is when you make a shameful concession. 
you make a dishonorable decision when you know something is right or something is wrong. You, you compromise with the Scripture. And unfortunately, it is happening today in the church. When the church just goes along to get along, then we find ourselves in a mess and eventually many find themselves engaged in sin themselves. How can I illustrate this? The best illustration I could give you is probably Genesis chapter 13 where Uncle Abraham and Lot came together. They had a a squabble going on between the herdsmen of, of each tribe, each herd, if you will. And so they decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to depart and we're going to go uh, two separate directions. Well, nephew Lot looks up and he thinks about the well-watered plains, uh, the plains of Shinar, and uh, Abraham gives him first choice and Lot says, I'm going this way. And in a few verses, we find that Lot sets up camp and it says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, he didn't move right into Sodom and Gomorrah. He just went kind of in the general area and he pitched his tent and he stayed there for a period of time. And I don't have time to flesh out the whole story, but let me get to the conclusion. He started with pitching his tent toward Sodom and he ultimately found himself moving into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and ultimately he offered his own daughters to be offered up for sexual immorality to a group of perverted men. Do you, do you see the progress that happened in Lot's life? Can you see the progress that happens in your life and in my life? We make compromising decisions. We become tolerant of our own sin. And then what typically happens is we have a situation where we discover or our sin is exposed or it is revealed or it becomes public and then we're shocked and we say things like, man, uh, they just crashed or, or they had a falling out or they fell into sin. Friends, that does not happen overnight. Compromise in a church does not happen overnight. A church that is tolerant of sin in its midst, that does not happen overnight. Revelation 2, 18 through 29 is written to a church about 40 miles from Pergamum, where we were last week. The city is Thyatira. It is the smallest city of these seven, and yet we find that it receives the longest letter. Uh, verses 18 through uh, verse 29. In the city of Thyatira, uh, there was an industry of copper and brass. And they really prided themselves on this industry in, in this day and time, producing the purest form of those two metals. Because there was so much metal work going on, uh, as you can understand, I remember it as a child uh, in, uh, growing up in Birmingham, we had the steel mills. And uh, my dad worked on the railroad, and many times in those types of trades, they will form, in, in biblical times, uh, they were called guilds, G-U-I-L-D-S. Today, I would illustrate it for you by calling it a union. I remember my dad as a kid 
uh, working on the railroad. He would go to his union meetings, and of course they would discuss uh, safety issues and pay issues and other things. But in the city of Thyatira, they had guilds, and each one of these guilds had a, a religious flavor or overtone to it. You've got to understand uh, their thought process of Greek mythology and the Greek gods and uh, wanting the blessings of all the gods. And so they would bring in religious activities and religious ceremonies that tied into their work and into their union meetings. What we discover from history is that in most of these guilds, there were things that went on uh, that were ungodly. There was sexual immorality. Uh, there was the, of course, uh, respecting or honoring the false gods. And even in these guild meetings, uh, eating the meat that was uh, sacrificed uh, to the idols. Now, why is that important? Why do we need to process this today? Here's the reason why. Christianity has always been a grassroots movement. It has always been boots on the ground. There, there have always been, uh, there's always been a movement of Christians going out into the world to be in the world, but to not be of the world. Uh, there's also passages like uh, Jesus said, a man that doesn't work is not going to eat, right? So where do you work? Well, for me, I work here at the church, but most of you are going to go uh, out into the workplace tomorrow. How many of you have found that at times certain situations come up where your work, your profession is in direct conflict with your faith, with your Christianity? For example, you might be asked to lie on a report. Uh, you might be asked to cook the books, so to speak. Uh, you might be asked to, you know, place yourself in a compromising situation to where uh, you have to make a decision of what you know is right and wrong, uh, whether you do it to keep your job or lose your job because you stand up for what you believe. I give you all of that background to say that is precisely what we are finding in the city of Thyatira as Jesus sends this letter to the pastor. I'm going to show you three quick things and I'm done, all right? Here we go. In verses 18 to 20, when we think about drifting into tolerance, I want to say to you that drift can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone. Sometimes we have celebrity Christians or, or people that we really look up to, and then lo and behold, something happens, and, and we're just totally shocked, and we can't believe it. You know what it reminds us of? Drift can happen to anyone. Jesus, in verse number 18, sends this letter to the pastor, and he starts it off by identifying himself as the one who is writing these words. These are the words of who? Say it with me, church. The, the Son of God. Now, in the Scripture, he is also called the Son of Man. And that is the picture of his humanness, of his compassion, of his humanity in that he was able to feel our infirmities. Your Bible says that your Lord and Savior in his flesh, he was tempted in all points just like you. And so he is called the Son of Man, but here he is called the Son of God. And this name shows us once again 
that he is speaking as the God-man, that he is speaking with authority, that Jesus is in charge at the church. He was in charge at Ephesus and Pergamum, and today he's in charge in the city of Thyatira. He is looking on. He's looking on with eyes of flaming fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. The church is all about Jesus. The church is all about your life and my life being anchored to Jesus. And when we drift, when we drift, we need to come back to the anchor of our souls. And I want to remind you, verse 18 says, that as we drift, our Lord and Savior has eyes like flaming fire. Have you said about someone maybe looking at you or you were looking at them and you said something like this? They stared a hole in me. How many of you growing up, your mom or your dad, maybe a grandmom, a a granddad, they could just look at you with nonverbal communication. They didn't have to say a word. But those eyes were so piercing that it said everything you needed to know in that moment. Why? Because they were laser focused. Or or maybe they were trying to get your attention. The picture here is of the vision that Daniel had in Daniel chapter 10 when he said about the Messiah who would come, he will have eyes like a fire and his body will have a, a burnished bronze. The picture is two things. Number one, that Jesus sees everything. That, that we're not going to hide anything from him. That, that he knows everything. That he saw us last night, and he'll see us today, and he'll see us tomorrow. I don't need to add this in my sermon, but my mind goes, uh, Brother Joe and I were in a service one time, a big old, it was a big old arena, and we were just kind of there spectating, and, and the pastor came out, and I'm about to trip up here. The pastor came out and welcoming everybody. And he said this. You know, Jesus is just glad you're here this morning. He doesn't care one bit about what you were doing last night. Those were the exact words that came out of his mouth. I'm quoting him directly. I'm not twisting it. I'm telling you that's what he said. And I looked over at Joe kind of out loud and said, Did he just say that? That Jesus doesn't care Church, I want you to know, Jesus cares what you were doing last night. He cares what we're doing right now. He sees everything. He knows everything. And his feet being burnished with brine is a representation of his holiness and his purity. Jesus said, be ye holy as I am holy. Jesus sees everything He knows everything. And you know, there really is a positive positive message in that. He shows us in verse number 19. Look in your Bible. He starts out with this church at Thyatira saying to them, I'm watching what you're doing and I see some good things going on here. Now, how many of you like to be encouraged, right? Okay, that's like three of you. How many of you like to hear something positive? How many of you like to hear, hey, you're doing a good job or... 
or, or, or man, you're, you're a blessing to me, or you've, you've helped me, or you've encouraged me. We say those kinds of things to one another. It's just a way of encouraging. And, and, and there's problems in the church at Thyatira, and I'm going to get to those problems in just a minute. Jesus gets to them, but I love the way Jesus loves on them in verse number 19. You know why? Because Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church so much that he gave his life. He shed his blood. He loves his church. I'm reminded as a pastor that that while uh, preachers are to preach with authority and we're to preach the Bible and we're to call people to, to follow Christ, it is not the pastor's responsibility to bash the bride because the bride belongs to Jesus. And Jesus loves his bride and he's coming back for his bride. I'll say more about that at the end of my sermon. So Jesus brags on them. He says to them, I know your works. I see your activity. I see the way that you love. I see the agape in the fellowship. That you love one another and I'm sure loving people outside of their local fellowship. I see your faith. I see the way you're trusting God and believing in God and your faith is in Christ and Christ alone. There are many of you in the church, he's saying there, that that your faith is not in other gods. Your faith is in the one true God. I see your service. The word there is the word diakonos from which we get the word deacon, which just simply means to serve, to wait tables. No doubt the church in Thyatira had you know, service projects going on. And they were reaching out to the community and, and, and doing things to help the poor and the needy and other things. Jesus said, I, I see your service. I see your endurance. You're patient. You're enduring a lot. And then he makes that great statement at the last of the verse. And that your latter works exceed the first. In other words, you're growing in this matter. Your list of works are not shrinking, your love is not shrinking, your faith is not shrinking, you're you're getting stronger and stronger, I can see it. While Jesus had some really good things in this verse to say to the church about what they were doing, I'm reminded of something else he said in the Gospels. He said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven. Leaven in the Scripture is always representative of sin. Of sin. There's sin in the church. Now hear me, church. Jesus is saying to Thyatira, you can have good things going on. You can have a good reputation in the way you're serving the community, in the way you're loving one another and loving people. But I've got to speak a word to you because... If you ignore sin, what you're really doing is you're functioning as if the gospel and your God and your Savior is actually tolerant with sin. And God does not tolerate sin. Now look, look, let's stop right here. Let's start where we need to start. We're not talking about them people, those people out there. Let's start right here. That God, God knows us. He sees us. And he is not, he's not okay with his people living in sin. He's just not. 
But you know what we do? We drift, right? We drift. We drift away from the Lord. We find ourselves, man, red hot for Jesus, loving the Lord, ready to serve the Lord. And then we find ourselves in love with the things of this world. Or we let our flesh, right? Anybody battled your flesh this week? No? Okay, I have. You're battling your flesh, right? And your flesh causes you to drift. And, and Pastor Josh and I, we got to spend some time together this week. And, and so we were talking about some different things. And, and him being in the Navy and being a, a fighter pilot and so forth. He's, he's explaining some things to me about ships and planes and so forth. And he said, hey, did you know, you guys and girls in the Navy probably have studied this. He said, did you know that if you take off from point A and you're going to point B, and when you start, your compass is just one degree off, just one degree. When you get 60 miles out, you'll be one mile off course. So then we got to looking at, for example, as an illustration, some of you carnal Christians <laughs> go to Mobile and go on cruises. Nothing wrong with that. I'm only being funny. Come on, laugh a little bit. It's part of our joy and pleasure vacation, and we go on cruises. You go over to Mobile, you get on a cruise ship. From Mobile to Cozumel, Mexico, in nautical miles, it's 707 miles. So if the captain of the ship sets out to sail, and he has that compass one degree off, when you go 707 miles, you will be 12 miles off course. Now when I read that and think about that, here's what comes to my mind. My pastor used to say growing up, that everybody ought to keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts. Because if you don't, you'll drift, and then you'll get further away, and then you'll get further away, and then you'll find yourself out of your Bible, and out of prayer, and out of church, and away from the things of God. You'll find yourself compromising and tolerating, and you will drift away from Jesus. You say, Pastor, well, what are you really talking about? Well, for me... I can relate to what the hymn writer wrote many years ago when from the, the pain and agony of his heart, his love for Jesus versus things that were going on in his life, he wrote, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to wonder. Anybody in the room this morning feel that way? The real question that we have to ask every day of our life is how far will we drift from the anchor of our soul? How far will we drift? And, and what would make any of us, please hear me today, what would make any of us think that we are not capable of drifting into any sin known to man, apart from the sin of unbelief if you're a Christian? What would make any of us think that today, there's no way that we would drift off course to where we are out of church, away from the Lord, out of the Scriptures, and even deny the Lord who bought us. Jesus says to Thyatira, you can love well, you can have the right doctrine and faith, you can be serving in the kingdom, you can be busy, but that does not mean you are not capable of sin. Sin in the church. Now, when I think about this, I'll tell you where my mind goes. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. I don't have time to unpack 
that passage, but there's sin going on in the church. And Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. And then listen to this. For a man has his father's wife. Now isn't that perplexing? Most scholars say that it's a man that has married his stepmother. okay, Or a man has had an immoral relationship uh, with a lady that at one time was married to his father. And so Paul describes it this way, which is kind of a head-scratcher. Digest this for just a minute. There's sexual immorality going on in the church that is of a type that is not even tolerated among the pagans. We're talking about God's people. I'm reminded of a passage in the Old Testament that talks, it's talking about God's people and their, their idolatry and their immorality and so forth. And, and the passage actually says, God's people doing worse than the heathen. So what were they doing? Look in your Bible, verse number 20. Jesus said, I've got this problem. This is what I have against you. There is a woman in your church, Jezebel. And she's calling herself a spokesman of God. And she is teaching and she is seducing my servants, my people, into sexual immorality and to eating meat that is offered to idols. Now, how many of you read this verse and you go, like me, I'm sitting in my office and trying to digest it, and you're going, man, I really got some questions about this verse. My very first question is this. Where is the pastor? You see him in verse number 18, right? To the pastor, to the messenger. Where's the pastor? Now, we don't know if the pastor was turning over the pulpit, if you will, uh, to Miss Jezebel to, to preach in a public setting. That's another sermon for another day. We'll get around to that real soon, all right? We don't know that the pastor was turning over the congregation to her. We don't know if she had a very effective small group ministry or she had some huddled up groups or whatever and she was teaching, but but but. Jezebel, by the way, most scholars say it's almost certain that this lady, her name was not Jezebel. In the Greco-Roman culture, you would have never encountered in historical records or anything a lady that was named Jezebel. But we see her name in the Old Testament, right? Is the lady who was married to Ahab that caused a lot of problems for, uh, for the nation, right? And so I'm going to guess there's probably... No ladies in the room today by the name of Jezebel. Just like I would guess there are no guys in the room today named Judas. Why? Because they're just connotations with that name. And so most scholars say that Jesus is using that name to point out a woman in the congregation who is saying, I am a spokesman for God and God wants me to tell you that it's okay to be sexually immoral. That it's, it's okay for you to go to your guild meetings and probably get drunk and engage in sexual immorality and eat the meat that is offered for idols. 
Now, I, I need to bring point number one to a close here to say, do you see how the church of Jesus Christ has drifted off course? To where Jesus has to call out the pastor and the church for tolerating not only this behavior, but it's being taught in the church. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Acts chapter 20. It's not going to be on the screen, but hear me for just a minute. Acts 20 verse 28, Paul says to the pastors, you need to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among yourselves, men will arise, and they will speak twisted things to draw away disciples to themselves. Now let me ask you, church, does those verses in Acts 20 describe what's going on in Thyatira? Does it? Sure. And what makes us think that isn't happening in 2020? So we need to be alert, right? And we need to realize that this drift, this drift can happen to anyone. Let me move quickly, secondly, to say, Jesus says to them, you need to remember the consequences of sin. Verse 21, I gave her an opportunity to repent. I gave her an opportunity to get this right, but she refuses to repent of her sin. Did you know that is an indicator in a person's life that maybe they've not truly been born again when they just refuse to repent? To refuse, they refuse to say, I've sinned, I've done wrong. This lady refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And Jesus said, we're not going to overlook this. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. We're not going to ignore it. I'm going to tell you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw her into the sick bed. And everyone that follows her and engages in her practices, they're fixing to go through great trouble and tribulation unless they repent of her works. I am going to, verse 23, I am going to strike her children dead. Now, Jesus speaks a strong word here. He is very clear that there are consequences for sinful behavior. That we are all accountable. We're all accountable to the one that has eyes like flaming fire. We are all accountable to the one who has feet of burnished bronze, who is pure and holy and righteous. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. He is patient. But he is not tolerant. Jesus said, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to make a public spectacle out of this because I want all the other churches. I want, I want the Point Church. On January the 26th, 2020, I want the Point Church to know that I am the one who is looking at the heart. I'm the one that reads the minds. Pause button. You might have walked in the door today and you know you're I'm dressed up in my suit today. Don't get used to it. 
you walk in the door today, you, you know, you, you want to, when we come to church, we want to, well, most people want to come across as a pleasurable Christian, right? We, we, we want, you know, we want each other to think, man, they've been in the Word this week, or, or they've been praying this week, or they've been loving their family right, or doing ministry, or whatever it is. You know, we come to church and we, 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 we don't come to church to give a bad presentation of ourselves, we come to give a good presentation of ourselves. Like right now, if I said, if you love the Lord, say amen, I would just hear this, amen, all across the room, right? You're not going to sit there and say no, you'll say amen. But how many of you know right now in this moment that God's not looking at my suit? He's not looking at the diplomas on the wall in my office? He's looking at my heart. He's looking at my heart. And my Bible says that my heart is desperately wicked. My heart is cruddy. That's what my Bible says. Who can know it? Who can understand the passions and the desires, the emotions, you know, in our hearts? And that's why, gang, we just need to get honest today and say, yes, yes, yes. I'm a drifter. I drift. My heart drifts. There are days when I love the things of this world more than I love God. There are things, or there are days when I love the works of my flesh more than I love being controlled by the Spirit. And God is saying, on your best day, when you're fired up and in the Word and praying and seeking the cross and you're loving Jesus and you're, you're going hard after Him on those days, oh, Jesus sees your works. He knows those days. And what a sweet aroma around the throne of God that is. But Jesus also knows the sin in our life. Let me close with point number three that will actually allow me to circle back and make a point or two. But the last thing I want you to see is that our Lord and Savior Jesus came so that we could live in the freedom of Jesus. Hey, hey look at me real quick. God sent me to this pulpit today to tell you that Jesus came to take the burdens off your shoulders, not putting burdens on them. Jesus came so that you could live in joy, not in bondage. Oh, if you come to this church over a period of time and you think that Christianity and the church is just about being weighted down and being in bondage and it always being heavy and there's no joy. One of the pastors yesterday we heard preaching said this. He said, I wouldn't go to a church if the pastor never smiled. I wouldn't even go. That's what he said. The Christian life is not, the Christian life is not always about being sad sack and repenting and, and just being miserable. No, you repent and be refreshed in the Lord and then you live in the joy of the Lord. Jesus came to lift the burdens off of you. He said to the Pharisees, you're, you're trying to put things on their shoulders that you can't even handle yourself. Leave them alone. Look at it in the text. I want you to see it. Jesus turns back around to the positive in verse 24, and he speaks to those in Thyatira who have not gone off into the teachings of Jezebel, who have, who have said, no, I'm not going to the union meeting and getting drunk and being immoral with someone that's not my wife. I can't do that. I want to stay faithful to my Lord. Jesus says something so interesting. 
Verse 24. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Now this is kind of the heart of the message, so would you give me your best ears for a couple of minutes? Jesus seems to say, you have a burden, there's something that you're burdened about. Those of you that have stayed faithful to me, you're carrying a burden, and I'm not trying to add another burden, but what I am saying to you is to hold on to the burden that you have. Hold fast. What is he saying? He's telling them, don't drift into tolerance. Because your family or your friends in the church say, sexual immorality is okay. Eating, eating meat to false idols is okay. Just because they're doing it and they're bearing down on you and they're pounding on you because you won't do it, that's a burden in and of itself. But you hold on to what you know is right. There's a whole other piece to this as well. What is the whole point of this letter? Pastor, get out of your office. Church people, get your head out of the sand. There's sin in the church, and it needs to be addressed. It needs to be dealt with. You can't sweep it under the rug. You can't overlook it. You can't go alone to get along. Pastor, say something. Stand for truth. Now, the question I have for you right now is, has Jesus, the one who is writing this letter, has he, has he given the church a burden to carry in general? My answer to that is yes. And this, this is what I believe the heart of this message is. I want you to, real quickly, I know what time it is, but I want you to go to Matthew 16 real quick, and I want to show you something that's so important. Matthew 16, those of you going to Israel with us in a few weeks, we're going to go up to Caesarea Philippi, and I'm going to open up my Bible, and I'm going to preach for two hours. From No, I'm not going to do that. I, I love this passage. I love to teach it sitting right there. I mean, right there in Caesarea Philippi. This is it. Jesus goes way off out in the middle of nowhere. He takes his apostles with him, and they get up there, and Jesus says to them, all right, guys, I want to know, what are they saying about me out there? Who, who, what are men saying about me as to who I am? And they reply, well, some are saying you're Elijah. Some are saying you're Jeremiah. Uh, who else is it there? Moses? John the Baptist? Yeah, John the Baptist. And then Jesus swings the conversation and says, okay, I, I'm really, really not that interested in that because I know who I am. I want to know if you know who I am. Who am I? Who do you say that I am? Christensen said the Apostle Peter was the leading voice of the apostolic choir. Peter was always speaking, right? But Peter says, you, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's that statement that is the foundation of the church. The church is about Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. The authority of the church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to the pastor or the pope or the deacons. It belongs to Jesus. 
You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, Jesus said, yep, that's it, Peter. Pebble, little rock. Yes, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And sometimes when we're preaching that passage, we stop right there and we miss the very next verse. Look at it. Look in your Bible. It's not on my forehead and it's not on the screen, all right? Look in your Bible. Very next verse. Verse number 19. Peter, apostles, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you, I never have keys in my pocket. This is divine providence. Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Here they are. Now, when you have keys to something, what does that mean? That means you can get in a door. Or at times, you take that key and open the door and you let somebody else in, right? You've got, I've got some authority around here because I have keys to this building. Some of you don't, and I do. Nana, nana, boo, boo, right? <laughs> no, what does that mean? That means the keys mean, guys, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. So Peter and the apostles are going out preaching the gospel, repent and believe and come to Christ. And as people are hearing the message and they're receiving Christ, they're opening the door and letting people into God's kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But he goes on and he says something else that's just kind of a head scratcher. What in the world does this mean? I'm going to give you these keys and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Isn't that an interesting statement? Flip over one page to chapter 18. We get to Jesus' next teaching in verse number 15, where he is dealing with sin in the church. And he says, if your brother sins, what are you supposed to do? Send out an email to 45 people. Hey, would you pray for brother so-and-so? He's fallen into sin. You're supposed to get a group text message going. Are you supposed to go to that person and say, hey, you've offended me or I saw you doing this or I know this is going on in your life and you need to get that right with the Lord. If that person pushes back and says no, you go back again with two or three people so that you have witnesses to say we have confronted our brother or our sister in Christian grace and humility knowing that we are all flesh tanks capable of anything and when we mess up, we want the same grace, right? But if that person is like Jezebel who refuses to repent, what does the Scripture say? You're supposed to tell it to the church, right? End of verse number 17, Jesus said, Treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. Paul said about the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, who had, uh, was in a relationship with his father's wife on down in the passage, Paul said, don't have anything to do with him, don't have a meal with him, and turn him over to Satan. Now, we live in a day today where if you have a backbone where you stand for something, people say you're unloving, right? And we're told that we need to be, we need to be more tolerant. Now, hear me, church. I'm almost done. People in the church today say things like this. Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm not, look, I've got my own stuff. I'm, I'm, look, I, ha I have to deal with me, and, and, and I'm not going to point out, I'm not going to point out somebody else's sin. Can I ask you something? Is that a biblical attitude? 
If you've got sin in your heart and you know you've got it there, don't put your hand on your chest and act all super spiritual. Get on your knees and repent. Right? I know that's kind of just straightforward, but that's what the Bible says. And it's not like we're, oh, man, I can't wait. I want to be a spiritual policeman. I'm going to go follow you around at Walmart and come to your neighborhood. And I want to just, I'm going to, man, I'm going to point out everything I see in your life. And I'm going to turn my spiritual siren on. And, man, I'm going to, that's not the spirit of the attitude. But the spirit of the attitude is, if you see a friend of yours, sir, getting in the car with another woman that's not his wife, you can't say, well, who am I to judge? Amen, pastor. If you see someone going down the wrong path of an emotional relationship in the workplace and they're drifting away and you know they profess the name of Christ, for heaven's sake, speak up and say, right is right and wrong is wrong. This matter is sexual immorality, right? I can't close without saying this. The Bible is very clear. The marriage bed is undefiled before God when a man marries a woman and they come together in holy matrimony. God designed it that way. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing in the eyes of God for intimacy, for procreation. God designed it that way. And when I read my Bible from cover to cover, the only thing I see in that Bible is one man and one woman committed to each other for life. So therefore, the church can't say, well, you know, it's the day and age in which we live, so we need to be patient with people who want to live together for a year to see if it's going to work out and then get married and schedule their wedding at the church. And Anybody tracking with me? We're living in a day where churches and denominations are debating whether to have ceremonies to marry a man to a man and a woman to a woman. We're living in a day. We're living in a day. And it's always been this way. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. We're living in a day where Christians in the church think it's okay to look at pornography on their computers. And we justify that, right? The word here is pornographic. Pornea, sexual immorality. It's pornea, pornographic. And we say, oh, it's, it's worse than it's ever been. No, that's not true at all. Man has always been filthy and depraved. The Roman Empire was disgusting. But now we just have it, the click of our phone, the click of a mouse, right there on our computer. Now we, you know, I've, I've literally heard stories of pastors in, in recent months who are married, but they have a girlfriend on the side. We even have a church We have a church in our city where the pastor put his wife away and brought his girlfriend in, and they lived together for about a year and a half, and then they had a big church wedding, and they celebrated it, and he's still standing in the pulpit this morning preaching. What does that say to the young people? What does that say to the church? That we, oh, we've decided that this is okay now. And the battle today is for the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. And what Jesus says to this church, I need somebody to speak up. 
I want somebody to address it. That which is bound in heaven or that which is loosed in heaven, that is about my relationship with Jezebel. I've given her an opportunity to repent, but I'm asking you, why hasn't someone in the church spoke up and told her she needs to repent? Or told the servants in the church who are following her in the wrong direction, speak up, speak up. He closes out the passage by saying, if you'll overcome with me, if you'll conquer, I'm going to give you a rod iron, you're going to rule with me. If, if you want to rule with Christ for all eternity, then we've got to be faithful to him today. And if we're going to be faithful to him today, church at Thyatira, you've got to deal with Jezebel. And if you'll do that, here's what I'm going to do, verse 28. I'm going to give you the morning star what and who is the morning star? Revelation twenty two sixteen. Jesus said, if you'll be faithful to me at the end of your journey, let me tell you what you're going to have. Look at me, church. The joy of heaven is not going to be to stand in a long line and kind of look up there and see what everybody else got for Christmas or, or what, you know, their works, what did they get? Oh, they got a bunch. Oh, wow, that's great. I wonder what I'm going to get, man. No, the joy of heaven is not your crowns and your rewards. It's not what you're going to get. It's who you're going to get. The morning star is Jesus. And when you get him, you have everything you need. There's nothing you're going to need for all eternity. But he says to Thyatira, look, you're in this world, but don't be of the world. Stay faithful to me. I'm going to carry you through this season. You stand strong, you're going to be ridiculed and criticized and made fun of. But I'm telling you, don't drift into tolerance. Keep your heart right and you speak up for what God's Word says. Now, did I not tell you my sermon was a little bit longer today? Would you bow your head with me?